Hello, good evening, and welcome back to yet another episode of Across the Pond. Uh, we've got a crazy title on this one, uh, and I, I couldn't believe it, Barry. But but I'm keen. I'm keen to get into it with you. Uh, but how does this Wednesday evening find you uh, on uh, what you call, what you dub to be a chilly, fifteen degree uh, Johannesburg? <laughs> It is chilly, Chad. Just because you're in London now and you've got this brand new feel as to what weather's like doesn't mean we can't feel chilly here in Johannesburg. <laughs> yeah, it's been a very miserable grey day throughout, Chad, but luckily quite productive. So okay. I really can't complain. I did a hit workout about an hour or so ago, and so I'm still quite sore from that, but I'm glad I got it done, which is good. Um, otherwise, not, not nothing to complain about. I think all good this side, very, very busy work-wise, so that's been a bit chaotic, but uh, all good. And your side? All good. You're making us all feel so bad about not exercising. Uh, having done your, it's either the hit workouts or it's running around on hockey fields. Uh, I haven't done anything today. Uh, but yeah, other than that, all good. I'm I'm excited, Barry, because the clocks are changing uh, mm. over the week over the course of the weekend. So when we record our episodes next week and beyond, uh, there'll only be one hour time difference between us, which is going to be a big win. Yeah, definitely. It means I don't have to stay up and pass my bedtime, Chad. <laughs> I can get it done nice and early and yeah. then get everyone across the pond uh, on it. I mean, I mean, I think it's a lot to ask people to come and spend like 9 to 10 yep. p.m. in South Africa to come and watch us or listen to us. So I'm looking forward to that as well, Chad. And hopefully it'll give you a little bit more daylight, which would be nice as well. Yeah, it's all about the daylight. Uh, so excited. So excited about that. Well, anyway, let's get into the course of our episode and start with the week that was. The week that was. So, Chad, it's been rather quiet on Twitter in the last little bit since yeah. a certain Mr. Donald Trump was kicked off the platform. And I think he was the reason for so much of Twitter's success and so much of people's obsession with the news and whatnot. And it's been a bit weird. Now that he's kind of been kicked off these platforms and Biden's kind of taken over, it's been very quiet from that side <laughs> of the pond. I don't know if you've been following it at all, but it's been very, very much business as normal. Everything's going fine. It's very, very quiet, which I think is a good thing when it comes to politics. But of course, Trump is not going to be quiet forever. And there's been a couple of rumors in this last week that I find very fascinating. And the first rumor, well, the rumor I want to talk about today is that Trump might be starting his own social media network. What? So, of course, I don't know if he's going to be able to get back onto Twitter or Facebook or any of these guys forever because I think they're banned him permanently, most of them. So he's decided he's going to take things into his own hands. And it sounds like he's going to be launching some sort of social network. I don't know what it means. I don't know if it's going to be open to everybody or just a platform for him. I don't know exactly what the, the nits and nitty gritties are going to be, but it's going to be very interesting if we see a, a Trump book or something like that, Chad. <laughs> a Trump book. I mean, you were talking about having his own TV channel, weren't you? Uh, when, mm. you know, when we spoke about what lies ahead in the future for Trump. Uh, so I'm not surprised to be honest. If he's got, he's got his own TV channel, he's got his own social media network, uh, I, I'm, I'm waiting until we've got Trump World, uh, a sort of leisure park or something uh, where you can, I don't know, float around on giant heads uh, with, with ginger hair and pale faces that are, you know, overly tanned. 
I think it's a great idea. He is the king of branding after all. And so you could put Trump on anything, you know, and it really is, it really is as part of his part of his thing, part of his shtick. Um and yeah. so yeah, I'm I'm interested to see what's gonna happen. I, I don't know how he's gonna put it off because a lot of the, the basic infrastructure when it comes to servers and bandwidth and all that stuff are still controlled by people who don't want him on the platform. So he's gonna have to build everything from scratch. But he's got tons of resources and tons of followers. Yeah. And so I'm very curious to see what this is gonna look like. Um and whether it's just gonna be a big publicity stunt or whether he actually might get a voice again. I mean, we haven't heard from him in a long time. So I don't know what's been going on in his side of the world. And uh, he's keen to share that with everybody. It's only a matter of time, I guess, until Congress comes up and uh, puts this new bill into into power that says uh, Trump can't have his own social media network and he's uh, stymied again. I mean, you know, do you think that that's possible? I mean, based on the, the hard, decisive action that all of these networks took, I wouldn't be surprised, really. Yeah, it's one of those things where freedom of speech has become so murky and so muddy these last couple couple months. And so who knows, Chad? Who knows what they could do? Um, I think there's going to be a lot of speculation and a lot of kind of – there's going to be a spotlight on it whenever it launches um, because you wonder how long it's going to take for that platform to devolve into the same sort of drama and nonsense that was happening on Parler, which if you remember was that app that the right wing kind of went to for a little bit before Amazon took them out at, at the knees. Um, and so I wonder if it's going to be a similar sort of vibe to that um, or maybe there's something something more we're not thinking about. I don't know. Um, but I, I, for one, I'm interested to see what Trump has, has, to, has to say. Um, and uh, let's see what happens there. Yeah, really interesting. I was quite surprised uh, to see that on the notes today. Uh, let's let's keep an <laughs> eye on that. So, although I look I look like I'm I'm pretty happy, and I look uh, like I've got a bit of a spring in my step, and have a, a flare of optimism about me today, uh, it's it's all it's all fake. It's all a fake. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, a bit of a fraud in in that regard today, uh, because to be honest, Barry, I've I've just been feeling numb this week. Numb to any more bad news that can sort of come my way. Um, it just it just feels like after everything that we've had in this last year, uh, that is just that's a result of that. How do you process all of these uh, all these bad news moments again? Um, so basically, this week, uh, in terms of a COVID sort of UK lockdown update, if you'd like, this week has marked one year since our first national lockdown in the UK, uh, and. That's kind of just a crazy thought, really, Barry, just to reflect back on what crazy year we've had. Um, and the fact that a year ago, we were staying up until all hours of the morning watching news reports ongoing, uh, tuned in to a news channel for hours on, on end, just to, because there was so much, there was so much happening. It wasn't just what was happening where we were living. It was tracking the news as was happening throughout the globe as everyone reacted to something we've never seen in our lifetimes um i mean does that struck a you know struck a chord with you at all it definitely does. I, I think we forget that at that point, we didn't know how serious this thing was going to be. There was lots of like debate as to what is going to be the death rates of this thing? And are we going to be able to keep things under control? And there were some scary numbers coming out of China and whatnot. And I think everyone was, I mean, I was certainly quite anxious about it. We were, I was thinking here about this African health system and trying to figure out 
how the hell we're going to keep this under wraps and kind of manage these things. And there were people talking about a four, five, six, seven percent death rate, which would have been way more worse than what we have today, mm. right? And so it is kind of crazy to think back that year. It all feels like a blur to me. Like if I think back the past year, it just feels like one ginormous blur. It's hard to pick out individual landmarks other than that very first lockdown where kind of everyone was like, okay, cool, stockpile your toilet paper, make sure you got enough because we're going into 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 hiding. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of this crazy journey. And at the beginning for us, Chad, we had a 21-day lockdown. And some of us are like, okay, cool, 21 days will be fine. I will come back after 21 days. Little did we know that over a year later, we're still sitting talking about it, Chad. Yeah, exactly. And uh, just, to, I mean, talking about that shopping experience, I was in uh, the Tesco again today. And I, I did, I did think about what that felt like a year ago. Uh, where, you know, when somebody was a little bit too close to me, uh, super paranoid, <laughs> um, it's just, like you say, it's just crazy to reflect back on the fact that it's been a year since the first lockdown uh, in the UK. So where we're at at the moment and why I said, uh, you know, I had been faking it in terms of my mood and optimism today um, is that I'm wondering why the heck we are still in lockdown, if I'm completely honest. <laughs> if you look at the the sort of death rates, the COVID cases, all of that kind of stuff, uh, they've all come down dramatically. We spoke about the lockdown easing approach, the, the roadmap that Boris released uh, a couple of weeks, months, whatever it is ago. Um, and one of the catchphrases there was data, not dates. Uh, but it's, it's very interesting that, you know, when the data is showing earlier than the date, we, we stick to the date. So so clearly it is <laughs> dates, not data. Uh, I mean, that's what that's what I think. But I mean, if, if, if we look, if we kind of reflect back on the UK's uh, alert level system, uh, just bring up a quick little chart here. Uh, we, we, we've got to really question why it is that we're in lockdown. And uh, I mean, the main message that was put front and center was protect the NHS. We are doing this to not overwhelm the NHS uh, who will not be able to cope with crazy case numbers, you know, whatever the case is, have capacity for, for beds, etc. Um, and so the level of restrictions that we're facing at the moment uh, is, is kind of based on like a level five alert level. We are in a full lockdown. As it stands at the moment, you are now currently allowed to go and meet one person on a bench. That's it. Um, obviously, there's going to be some easing from Monday things get a little bit better and five weeks from now things get a little bit better but you do it does beg the question where you know i feel like my feeling based on the number of cases and stuff uh which based on this chart right now uh is that we're more like a number two which is where COVID 19 is present but the number of cases and transmission is low that's where i think we are but we've, we we are we are sitting in a sort of level five uh response in terms of restrictions uh and so for me it feels a little bit crazy. Uh, maybe I'm being a little bit over, overly sort of pessimistic about this. Uh, but I mean, just for you, where you're sitting at the moment, I don't know if you've been following the, the case numbers and stuff in the UK, especially, I mean, we, our vaccines as well, more than 50% of the adult population have been vaccinated. Why are we still in lockdown? I think it makes some great points, Chad. And it's something we chatted about right in the beginning when you, when you, when they first, when Boris first came out of this plan and he, he laid out this like month-long plan with all these different levels, and this is going to happen by this date and this date and this date. And I think I brought up the, the, the idea, like, how flexible are these things? Like, mm. are they, like, is it set in stone like that, or are you going to be able to kind of flex back and forth depending on the data? 
And it seems like they're going to try and stick to those dates, which seems which seems yeah. a bit bizarre because the case numbers, like you say, look really good. The vaccination numbers look really good. And uh, I think that we've got past the point where <clears throat> like a, a huge wave would overwhelm the NHS. Like at this point, there's enough PPE, there's enough kind of capacity, although the healthcare workers are vaccinated. So there's no real reason to be trying to flatten the curve per se. It's more yeah. just by getting vaccination out as fast as possible and trying to get back to normal life. So it is a bit strange that you guys are still in lockdown in the way that you are. Um, I don't know if there's, if there are good reasons behind it. I don't know if it's just caution. Um, I'm not sure what's going on, but I, I know that doesn't help you guys at all. And, and I feel for you because it's like, you guys have been through some of the tougher lockdowns, I think of any country in the world. Mm. Um, and it's still ongoing, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. And I mean, even even though now we're talking about the easing, we're talking about all that kind of stuff. And uh, one of the one of his other catchphrases when he was laying out his roadmap was the fact that this uh, easing was going to be irreversible, uh, i.e. that we are not going to, you know, ease to the next step and then backtrack uh, when when things get worse. Uh, but more and more I've seen in the press this week messaging about this third wave that is happening in the EU and it hitting hitting the UK shores. Um, and that's primarily driven by, you know, the variants. I believe sort of France and Germany are now, you know, the UK Kent uh, variant is now raging uh, over that side. And of course, loads of concerns about the South African variant. Um, so for me, again, this question of, 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 of the media and the, the messaging that's being put out there, is this really going to actually be irreversible? Um, on the ground at the moment, uh, you know, I, like I said, I'm feeling pessimistic because of all of this messaging where, you know, you, th you, you, you thought there was light at the end of the tunnel. You thought this easing, this roadmap was something that you could use as a basis to, to look forward to life coming back to a little bit of normal. Um, and, you know, all of this kind of messaging uh, really does make you question that. And on top of that, Barry, and I want to get your thought on this one specifically, uh, is this idea of a £5,000 fine. Uh, to travel abroad without any sort of good specific reason uh, under new laws that are going to be voted in on Monday, uh, next week, Monday the 29th. Um, so, you know, those laws are going to become effective until the end of June. Uh, and that's obviously over and above everything that we have at the moment, which is, you know, the hotel quarantine system, uh, there's passenger locator forms, all of that kind of stuff. It's all in place. There's a red list of countries, all of this kind of stuff. Um, so that's over and above all of that. Um, I, I think it's interesting. Five thousand pounds. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of an arbitrary number. It's hard to know whether that should be higher or lower. But if you if you want to debate like the actual fine itself, it's mm. it's a difficult precedent to set. Um, it's like how do you how do you restrict freedom like that? I I, I for person <clears throat> gee, was, personally, <laughs> I feel like traveling uh, leisure at the moment across countries is irresponsible. So like I don't think it's something we should be encouraging. But at the same point to put a to put a law into place to restrict that is is a big is a big step. Um, and it's the question of like does that actually help going forward, or is it just going to be another bureaucratic thing that gets in the way of getting back to normal life? Um, and so, yeah, until the end of June, it, it kind of makes it kind of makes sense to me. Like, how are they going to enforce that? Like, what does a good reason mean? I'm guessing you'd have to prove some sort of business reason or something in order to do it. Um, and yeah, it's it's a weird one, Chad. How do you feel about it? Uh, not, not not good to be honest, uh, because th there was essentially going to be a travel task force uh, that was going to come together and essentially announce 
when travel can happen. So that was separate to the roadmap. Um, obviously, in the roadmap, uh, so 21st of June was the date that all restrictions were supposed to cease in terms of physical contact. Um, you know, no earlier than that date. Let's uh, let's be clear on that again. Um, but you know, the, the the travel task force was supposed to come back and say, okay, cool. Uh, in mid-April, this is what we're going to do in terms of travel. And so, to have this measure uh, put into place, you know, effective up to the end of June. Uh, is really just saying, well, any of the efforts of this travel task force are, are kind of null and void uh, if any of their uh, announcements are going to be dated before the end of June. Um, so, so that's that's my kind of feeling. Obviously, you know, it would, be, it would be great to be able to have a summer holiday. I know last last year we had travel corridors, uh, which looked at the infection rates across various countries, and you know, if there was a country that wasn't uh, worse than the UK, then the, the travel corridor would be in place and you could go there without having to quarantine. Whereas now, the concern has shifted, Barry. So we're in a different place to where we were last year. And, and that is, the concern is now bringing in the South African variant from wherever it is, whether it's Europe, whether it's South Africa itself, uh, other red list countries, that's now the concern. So we really are addressing a, a different kind of concern altogether. But I, I, I hear you, and I think that what's important to realize is that when UK went through their second wave, which was quite a quite a bad one, a lot of it was because people were traveling to the rest of Europe yeah. and then bringing bringing the virus back in, right? And so we have to learn from that. And I think that I don't think anyone should be looking to travel internationally right now. I just don't think it's the right time. And I understand everyone's fatigued and tired of things, um, but I really don't think international travel is something we should be encouraging, just because. There's no need to take that risk right now. The vaccines are with us. Like in, in six months' time, eight months' time, a year's time, hopefully the world looks very, very different to what it looks like today. And so international travel just seems like an irresponsible risk to me. And so I can understand them trying to do this. But if, if, if like you say, there was a there was a task force that was, that was kind of given this mandate and whatnot, was trying to run with this and trying to make it more flexible, then it does feel a bit weird to come over their head. But I wonder if the task force was, was involved in this decision. Like maybe yep. this is part of their part of their discussions. I don't know. Um, I think that there's just so much fear and so much caution that is getting in the way of just common sense, it looks like in the UK. Like if you look at the numbers, you look at the vaccinations, you look at how the NHS is doing, I think it makes a lot of sense to open up internally for sure, like open up yep. businesses, open up um, tra like internal travel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then maybe the international travel is just, just a little bit of a barrier to try and make sure we can manage things until everyone is vaccinated. And that's going to be soon, right? Vaccinations mm. will be done pretty soon. Um, and so those extra variants, of course, that's the worry, and you've got to try and manage that. But we can't keep going the way we're going. Um, I mean, the U.S. went and printed another trillion dollars worth of, worth of yeah. money yeah. to kind of give a stimulus to their economy. It, it really is one of those things where the economic impacts of these lockdowns is absolutely astronomical. And it's going to affect us for years and years and years to come. And uh, it's it's been, it's been the, the same debate that's happened throughout this whole pandemic is – trying to how do you balance the health outcomes to the economic outcomes and it's so so difficult because you can't put a price on someone's life you can't put a price on a death but as a government or as a world we have to realize that these economic like devastations and, and keeping things closed up actually does cause death in mm. longer term mm. uh, things right and so it's such a difficult one and i for one wouldn't i wouldn't want to be in that position that's for sure 
Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. And uh, I mean, that leads us on really nicely to, to the next thing that I just jotted down here, talking about the economic, uh, you know, loss and devastation and all of that. Uh, John Lewis, one of the big retail chains over here in the UK, uh, has today announced eight store closures. Um, so this is on top of eight store closures that they had already announced last year uh, in the midst of the first set of lockdowns. Um, and, you know, together, those 16 closures uh, amount to sort of around a third of all of their stores uh, now being shut down um, as a result of essentially the, the, the pandemic. And so just these eight stores now, it's sort of 1,500 people who are set to lose their jobs. Uh, you know, John Lewis are, are trying to repurpose jobs for them and find other places for them within the organization. Uh, but it's always tricky when you've got such a, a massive number of people. Uh, there's always there's not always going to be a space for, for every single one of them. And I think one of the key points that I took about out of this one, Barry, is them actually announcing that they expect in the future so 60 to 70% of all of their purchases will happen online. Uh, and so that is a really interesting statistic or an interesting forecast, uh, certainly on their side, because, you know, for a long time, John Lewis has been about the high street presence. It's been about the, the stores which give you a premium experience. It's that experience of being in the store. Uh, and now uh, our, our shopping patterns, they believe, are going to have changed forever. I think it's a key <clears throat> a key point that's come out of this pandemic is that the world has changed forever. The way we think about shopping has changed forever because we've gotten to these habits of the convenience of being able to order it on your phone and have it delivered straight to your door without having to fight the crowds or fight any of that stuff. Um, I, I know for myself, even though South Africa is not in a strict lockdown and I, I can go to any shop that I want to, I haven't been to a shopping center in months, right? Mm. I, I have, I've been to like individual grocery stores every now and then, but I've never, I haven't been to a shopping center since the, since the pandemic started, basically. And I don't see myself going back. And so that's an interesting kind of thing to think about is that as the buyer culture has changed and as we start to realize that things can be done digitally and can be delivered to your door at a res relatively inexpensive cost, those retail experiences are going away. Like I, I think about cinemas, like we, we chatted about cinemas in the past. Yeah. I don't know if cinemas are going to survive, right? I don't know if these ginormous retail chains are going to survive beyond some like like flagship stores that have some sort of aesthetic appeal to them. Um, but beyond that, the mere function of, of retail is going to change dramatically and it is changing dramatically. Mm -hmm. And so you see stories like this, you see like thousands and thousands of jobs being being taken away. And that's just, that's just how the world works. That's how technology innovates. That's how things change. And uh, John Lewis has got to try and innovate. They've got to try and find a way to make it happen, whether they can move this stuff onto online as quickly as possible and kind of unlock the same sort of revenue they were seeing. I don't know. But yeah. unfortunately, if, if you are in the retail space and you, you aren't able to reskill yourself or trans transfer your skills into something else, you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, completely. Uh, I mean, talking to whether they'll, they'll, able, they'll be able to adapt, I mean, their online offering at the moment is really good. Um, but at the same point, they did have a massive loss last year in terms of their actual trading results. So I guess at the moment, they, they're just trying to control that cost base. Um, and, you know, if, if they predict in the future that the bulk of their purchases are going to come from, uh, from online, it makes complete sense to, to close down those, uh, you know, brick and mortar stores, uh, as tough as that is for the communities around. Uh, the, other, the other thing that is really important to mention is that John Lewis has what they call a partner program. So all of their staff members are actually partners of the business and they share in profits uh, when, when things go well. So 
you know, basically getting rid of an employee in terms of a, a John Lewis perspective is a little bit more complex because they're actually shareholders too. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think it always makes it a little bit tougher when that's the case. And like you're, you've aligned all the interests and then to kind of cut those guys is not as easy as someone who's just a, just a kind of hourly paid worker. Um, so that is very difficult. And unfortunately, it's a very common story. I mean, this is just one of many, many, yeah. many companies who is going through the same sort of thing. It makes me think a little bit about, I watched a video the other day about Amazon's logistics kind of machine. And, and it was a fascinating video that talked through how the hell do they manage to deliver to anywhere in the US within two days with Amazon Prime. And it kind of runs through ginormous warehouses and all logistical and the robots and everything they've built to try and make this actual logistics things happen. And I think that is where the innovation really has been really cool to see. And, and it's companies like that who are going to really benefit from people like John Lewis. So yeah. I can imagine Amazon offering up their logistics platform as a service to these to these ginormous retailers and letting them carry the, the last mile delivery so John Lewis can just focus on the actual products themselves and the marketing and that sort of thing. And yeah. so I think it's not as simple as just putting all your stuff online at an online store and then waiting for people to buy from you, right? You have to be able to service your customers on a mass scale across the whole country and uh, just looking at amazon's ability to do that at scale it's it's mm. terrifying i don't think that business is even close to its its kind of potential just yet yeah it is scary it really really is um yeah interesting landscape to to watch and monitor i mean we're you're we're you're on uh, you would think we'd, we'd have a bit of a better idea but the truth is uh, we're going to see some really lasting impact uh, once we do eventually get back to a a, a sense of normal. Um, but you know, I, I honestly, I'm so pessimistic about it reaching completely normal uh, ever again. But uh, yeah, let me not get you down. <laughs> Let's move on to the next segment. Stuff I found interesting. Barry. Where did you find this this week? <laughs> Chad, I don't know what you're talking about. This is all everyone is talking about. This is the number one story across the world. <laughs> CNN covered it for seven hours yesterday. Wow. Uh, this is a story that, that should cheer you up, Chad. It's, I'm hoping that it'll put a little bit of a smile on your dial and give you some lockdown joy. And it's coming to you all the way from Taiwan, Chad. Uh, Taiwan, of course, is a tiny, tiny little country in the in, in the midst of the Asian Peninsula, uh, and a very, very fascinating country. I had a friend of mine who did a, a year exchange there, and came, okay. came back with some amazing stories about Taiwan. So I really would love to visit one day. But there was a very, very funny thing that I found, Chad, and it's it, it comes from the sushi company. So there's a sushi company in Taiwan. And they wanted to kind of make a promotion. They wanted to have some sort of campaign to try and get some more people through the doors. And we all know everyone loves all-you-can-eat sushi. I don't know about you, Chad, but when you when you see friends go to all-you-can-eat sushi and they take the Instagram photo of the piled-up dishes yeah. all the way past their past their heads, people really love all-you-can-eat sushi. I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw a little span in the works here. Yes. I'm not a, I'm not a fish eater, Barry. Chad. <laughs> <sighs> Chad. I mean, Chad. I mean, I have okay, I so, have so, had sushi. Uh, so when I started dating my fiance, she she kind of mm. got me into a lot more foods than I was into before, and so I did do yeah. quite a few all you can eat sushis. But it's still not it's still not a you know I wouldn't I wouldn't say I feel like sushi tonight specifically as a, I will never <laughs> reach for it uh, if there's any other option. But that's just me. 
Sorry, carry on. <laughs> but, you must, but, but, you, but you must understand like the the allure of this all-you-can-eat sushi, yeah. right? Because sushi is traditionally yeah. quite expensive. And it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you actually want to get – if you want to really be filled up by sushi, you've got to get eat quite a few pieces of it. And yeah, so and I, I, I know that – sorry, say again? Uh, sorry, I was going to say, yeah, you're, you're completely right. And, and in Johannesburg, there's a lot of places where you can get all-you-can-eat sushi. Whereas in in London, for some reason, it's like it's a, it's just not that common. Sushi here is super expensive, like you say, which is weird because salmon is actually funnily cheap. Barry, I'm hijacking your story. Please carry on. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. So the sushi restaurant decided, cool, they want to kind of get a campaign going. And so they decided that, Chad, for two days, just for two days, you could come into their restaurant and have all you can eat sushi, assuming you met one criteria. <laughs> and that criteria was you could show them some sort of identification that, sh- that said that the word salmon or the Chinese character for salmon, more specifically, appeared in your name. Right. What? So <laughs> the characters for, for salmon in Chinese is called Guiyu. And so if, if those characters were found anywhere on your ID card, Chad, you got all you can eat sushi for those two days. Right. Very bizarre campaign. Obviously, like for publicity, got a lot of got a lot of buzz. But what I found fascinating, Chad, was that it caused what it, it caused what the local media are calling salmon chaos, with over <laughs> 150 young people visiting government offices wow. in order to officially change their name. Chad, how insane is that? <laughs> well, there's a there's a clear sort of economic problem here, Barry. The the cost of changing <laughs> your name is clearly lower than the cost of an all-you-can-eat sushi, and certainly one for two days in a row. I can't believe it. I can't believe people will be willing to change their name to have something as random as salmon. Uh, Feature as part of, how about this, Barry Salmon Maurice. Hey, what do you reckon? (laughs) I think it's got a good ring to it there, Chad. I think it's got a good ring to it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's it's super bizarre. I mean... Imagine, imagine the admin to go through and change your name. You have to change all your forms, change yeah. your banking details, change everything that's connected to your name because you wanted that sushi. I suppose maybe what the what the kicker was was that you could bring along, I think it was five friends. Yeah. So if you had okay. salmon in your name, Chad, so you took one for the team <laughs> in your WhatsApp chat, you said, okay, I'm going to put my hand up. I'm going to take one for the team. I'm now My, my name is now Salmon <laughs> and I can bring my five mates along to go and get all you can eat sushi. It really is, it really is quite a story. And Chad, I must tell you about this one guy. So there's always, you know, there's always one guy who takes yeah. it too far, right? There's yeah. always one guy. There was one resident, let me read this properly, who decided to add a record 36 new characters to his name, most of them seafood themed. So basically he became John <laughs> Abalone Crab Lobster Salmon, like whatever it was, right? Oh, 36 God. new characters to his name to make sure he covered all of his bases so that he could eat for free for those two days. <laughs> I'm wondering whether he's going to eat for free for the rest of his life. Uh, literally covering every single possible basis. That is insane. I mean, I wonder if, if that guy is going to go in and change his name straight back. Uh, after this promotion has come to an end. And also, what's the turnaround time of government agencies uh, to make the change to names? Um, I, I think it's fascinating. But Barry, what I want to talk about quickly and, and show you is when I think about salmon, right? Mm. This is what I think about. It's all about the shake at the end there, Barry. It's all about the shake. 
I'll cut it there because I know you're uh, I know you're not a big fan, um, and that is you know that it, is uh, it, it, of course it, it, all rights reserved. Is that the show reserved. that cannot be named? That's the show that can that, that cannot be named or right or rights reserved to Zuvai TV. Uh, that that of course <laughs> is from Love Island, uh, and that is the the signature salmon move, Barry. Uh, wh- I I tell sure. you when when I am able to swim again, uh, what is a swim again without jumping in and and salmoning into the pool? <laughs> I don't think I don't think I've ever done the salmon, Chad. I'm clearly been missing out. I need to get my act together and get my salmon dive on, man. That that looks like a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I know I know you you're a massive fan of of Love Island. Have watched all seasons of every edition of course, from all, uh, you know, all possible permutations from wherever in the world. So I had to I had to feature that on the show, of course. But of oh, course, yes. Oh, yes. okay. While we're on the seafood that. theme, Barry, let's let's keep to that seafood theme. Uh, and uh, and let's talk about one of our favorite shows of last year, uh, and of course, uh, my octopus teacher. Yeah, so I don't want to call it seafood, Chad, because octopus was very intelligent and was like a big part of that movie. <laughs> it lived in so the let's sea. Not, let's not call it seafood, but it's sea themed. Yes, sea themed. Um, yes. So so we chatted about my octopus teacher, and yeah. both you and I found it quite fascinating. And I think it was one of those documentaries that really moved me. I found mm. it very emotional in in, in a weird way, um, and we, I, I had that immediate feeling of shock when I first put the movie on and heard this African accent and realized that it was actually this guy down in the Cape, right down the Western Cape, who was kind of the star of this whole show. And so this Netflix film, for those who haven't seen it, please go and see it. It's about this guy in the Western Cape who kind of finds this octopus and spends a year basically going down into the sea every single day and following this octopus and learning about it and building a relationship with it. They actually become almost friends and they start to recognize yeah. each other. And it's just this incredible journey of watching an octopus from, from start to finish and seeing how powerful those creatures are, how intelligent they are and kind of how alien-like they are. Mm. Um, I, I know my main takeaway was that these things are aliens. They really are aliens. And so it's a weird thing to see. It was a wonderful documentary. And I saw some amazing news today. We were chatting about the Oscars last week and we were saying, cool, yeah. who's going to be nominated for these Oscars? Well, my octopus teacher has been nominated for the best documentary Oscar. And I think that's a great nomination and mm. that has to win, Chad. Surely he has to win. Come on. I agree. I agree. I mean, the reason we spoke about it last week is not a heck of a lot was released this, this uh, past year. I mean, obviously, there, there was a decent amount of stuff released, but compared to an ordinary year, uh, for obvious reasons, not. Um, but I agree. I, I think it's a very, very deserving nomination. I think, you know, certainly in my circle of friends, I haven't reached a person yet who has watched it and not enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of people thought it was quite funny. A lot of the people thought uh, his <laughs> obsessive nature uh, and, you know, falling in love with this animal was uh, was quite strange. But uh, I certainly took the same view as you, Barry. I thought it was absolutely incredible that uh just an individual by himself without any crazy film crew i mean obviously he had a background in film uh and for you know for for that reason he was obviously very able to do this put this amazing uh, documentary together but i certainly think it is a very worthwhile nomination uh you know certainly as lockdown goes it'll feature as, as one of the things that uh, you know, had a profound impact and, and really sort of touched you in, in that strange year. 
there's that scene where the octopus is being chased by the shark. There's like mm. an eight minute scene. I never will. I don't think I'll ever forget that scene. I found it so incredibly well done. And the way it was shot, like you say, the cinematography was amazing. The underwater shots were absolutely incredible to think that there was just one guy with a camera. It looked like yeah. Netflix had their whole crew underwater there, right? It looks like they had the whole thing. <laughs> And somehow they've put together this documentary literally made by one man based off the obsession of one man that's really kind of taken over the world. And so I, I'm very chuffed. I think that it'll feel like a South African win if it wins. So I'll be waving yep. my South African flag as we get to the Oscars. Um, so I'm quite excited about that. And, and hopefully it wins, Chad. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. I hope so. I, I mean, I know you keep a South African flag in your, in your room, so you'll have it at the ready. Uh, when that time oh, yes. comes, uh, but uh, yeah, I hope so. I, I, I definitely do. Let's uh, let's see what happens. Uh, there was something else that you found interesting this week as well. Uh, something you know you haven't written too much about it. I care a lot. <laughs> what do you care about, Dave? Oh, I care about a lot of things, but this particular <laughs> reference is talking about a movie on Netflix called I Care A Lot, and it's kind of taken okay. the world by storm in the last week or so. It's got a lot of hot, a lot of buzz at the moment, and it, it stars Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones. That's kind of the, the, the major name there. And then I'm, I'm blanking on the, on the lead actress, but she's also, she's also okay. a famous actress. Um, it's, it's, it, the reason I wanted to bring it up was because I found it a really interesting movie and a really fun movie. It's, okay. it's a little bit dark. And basically, the, the, the storyline is something like this. There's, a, there's a, con, a con artist who's this woman who realizes she can make money by kind of um, bleeding out uh, elderly people. So people okay. who've got mental illnesses and that sort of thing, and they don't have family to look after them, she will go and she works with the doctor to kind of get, get um, access to their guardianship. She becomes their legal guardian to take care of them and then kind of bleeds with their money from there. So it's like this, this huge con artist thing. And it's it kind of portrays her as the villain and it portrays her as this terrible, terrible person who she is. Um, and then she has, she has, she's got all of these people she's looking after and she comes across this one old lady and unfortunately, it's the wrong person to to go after because no. this old lady's son is Peter Dinklage, who's part of the Russian mafia, and it's this whole battle between these two, the con artist and the and the mafia person. And I won't give it away. It's a really really fascinating story and a great twist at the end. So it's well worth going to watch. Uh, Rosamund Pike, that's the one. Yeah, she's she's the one who plays okay. Marla. Um, okay. I, I just think it's a really fun movie. It's a lot action packed. It's got some interesting kind of uh, moral undertones to it. It makes you feel very uneasy for a large part of the film, which I think is interesting okay. to talk about. And so, yeah, if you're looking for a Netflix recommendation for the next week, um, especially in this, this chilly Joburg weather, Chad, <laughs> get under that blanket and uh, put on I Care A Lot. <laughs> Love it. Uh, and yeah, we, there's, there's bound to be some duplication when I do eventually watch it and want to talk about it again. <laughs> Um, you know, Barry always brings up these amazing ideas, which means I get excited when I when I finally catch up. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have to put that on the list. Thanks for that recommendation, definitely, Barry. Let's then move on. Oh, sorry, let's not move on. I was I was going to say one more thing. I just have to say, Peter Dinklage is so good at acting. Yeah, he's very he's good. so so good. Mm. And in this movie, I kind of had this. This, this nostalgic flashback to Game of Thrones. And I kind of thought, I wish I could go and watch Game of Thrones again. Like, forget, like, take my memory away. I want to watch it again because it's such a great show. And so Peter Dinklage is is the hero in this movie. And, and well, not the hero per se, but the, the hero in my heart, Chad. Amazing. I, I mean, just talking about Game of Thrones, I was talking to a friend of a friend um, and, you know, somebody saw a dog just in London at some some point in London. I think it was St. John's Wood, which is like northwest London. 
uh, and you know, obviously stopped, said hello to the dog, whatever, looked up, and who was it? Uh, it was uh, you know the dragon. What's her name again? The dragon, Amelia Clark. Amelia Clark, but of course, Amelia Clark. How could I not remember <laughs> her name in in the moment? Hey, you blanked out. I'm totally forgiven for blanking out. Uh, Amelia Clark mm. in in London. Imagine, imagine bumping into her on the streets. Oh. Uh, how amazing would that be? I would be so starstruck. I, I've got such a crush on that woman, Chad. She's amazing, <laughs> and uh, I think she's such a cool person as well. I mean, yeah. watch her interviews po- post Game of Thrones. She's like a lovely, positive, friendly person, and so that would have been an amazing experience. Um, so yeah, I'm a bit jealous. We don't see those celebs down here, Chad. Unfortunately, in Johannesburg, we don't we don't see the Game of Thrones cast walking around. <laughs> well, I haven't either, so <laughs> no worry there. <laughs> Let's then move on to our next segment. Looking ahead. As we look ahead this week, we focus a little bit more again on this recurring theme that we seem to be focusing on quite a lot, and that is the space of uh, you know audio, audio platforms, Clubhouse, Discord. Uh, there are others that I'm not thinking about in this present <laughs> moment in time. Uh, but I'm talking about Discord uh, and sort of rumors coming out from, from Bloomberg uh, that Microsoft are set to acquire them more than $10 billion, Barry. Uh, this is the platform, if you haven't heard of it, uh, Discord is uh, essentially an audio platform which, which lets you communicate. Uh, it's big in the gaming m- market. Uh, also, you know, also video as well. Uh, but but I'd say most people use it for, for voice uh, and, and chat as well. Um, and so, yeah, lots of people use it, as I say, in the, big in the gaming space. Uh, people use it for study groups, dance classes, book clubs, all of that kind of stuff. Um, I think it's fascinating. This is uh, the, the next move, potentially, if these rumors are true, for, for Microsoft. And, uh, and as I said, a, a segment of the market that is clearly very exciting and one that we need to focus on our, our time and effort on in the future. Yeah, definitely. Based on what I've read, Chad, I think these rumors are quite well substantiated. I think they're okay. more than just rumors. I really think it's, it's I'm not, not 100% confirmed, but from what I've read, I think it is happening. Um, and so, yeah, it really is exciting. I think Microsoft have been on such a tear recently. They really are reinventing themselves. And it's been really cool to watch because if you looked at 10 years ago, what Microsoft looked like as kind of they were losing their dominance over the PC market, they were losing their dominance to over the office market. Um, they really have reinvented themselves and they've kind of turned around a, a rather stagnant company into one that is really doing very well. And so this is a fascinating acquisition. I think that $10 billion dollars it, it sounds cheap to me in a way, Chad. I don't really? know if that's the right way to look at it because Discord is such a big player in the space. Like, like when you say in the gaming in the gaming world, Discord is number one, and, and they kind of dominate that 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 space. And so I see two possible use cases for them to do this. The first thing is that, of course, they own Xbox, right? Yeah. And so there's a sure. natural there's a natural tie into the kind of Xbox ecosystem, and you wonder what kind of synergies you'll be able to unlock yeah. as part of that collaboration. But then also there's an interesting one in their Microsoft Teams platform where they kind of have have bundled together the the, the, the kind of instant messaging and the video calling through Skype and all these things into a office based platform. And at the moment, Microsoft Teams is kind of that hub. And you wonder if they're going to maybe pull some of this technology into that as well to kind of to create almost a slack for microsoft products in a way Um, and so i think there's lots of interesting use cases here i think discord has has done really really well and so far and it's a great exit for the founders must be absolutely amazing Um, and i'm just keen to see what they're going to do with the chat because like you say this is a kind of an emerging space this kind of drop-in audio type conversations and uh, i wonder if it's going to make it into the business context as well 
Yeah, it's interesting. And and, and just to add as well uh, to the extra one there is also as PC manufacturers and a lot of gaming happening in the PC world as well, you know, aside from, from Xbox, uh, I think it also makes makes massive sense. I mean, imagine they're actually integrated with the Windows operating system uh, in, in a lot more of like a slick and, and easy to use way. Uh, so yeah, I, I think I think it, it it does sound like a, it would be a good idea, a great purchase for for Microsoft. Um, you know they they've tried out all sorts of stuff uh, in in the last couple of years and uh, to to kind of keep themselves uh, where they are currently and to, to not go stagnant if you'd like. Uh, I think it, I think it is a good, a good idea uh, to to acquire a company as exciting as as Discord. So interesting that like you say that maybe the 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 status of those negotiations are maybe a bit further far than than we may know or not. Uh, it's hard to know really. Um, you know, but obviously we've seen that Bloomberg uh, and, and uh, you know, you've seen some other stuff as well. So probably is something in the mix. Uh, something else in looking ahead that I wanted to mention today, uh, which has got nothing to do with technology at all. Uh, but I have to look quite far ahead in the future uh, to derive any sort of benefit or excitement from it. Um, is that today I bought pre-sale tickets to see Jacob Collier in London uh, at the Academy in Brixton. But Barry, I'm looking quite far ahead though because the tickets are for the 15th of June, 2022. <laughs> Chad, I'm, I'm glad you finally looked at the email because when you first messaged me, you were talking <laughs> as if it was June 2021. I thought so. so. I could just imagine Chad arriving at, arriving at the venue on June 2021 <laughs> and looking around and being like, Hmm? Am I getting a private concert? Where is everybody? What's happening here? Um, so yes, it is in 2022, and I'm insanely jealous, Chad. I'm insanely jealous. Um, I, I think it's a great move for you. I think that no matter where you are in the world, I think you should fly back to London to come and make it happen. Yeah. Um, it, it's very exciting, and I think it's part of his world tour that he kind of announced, the, mostly the UK and the US kind of legs of it. Um, and I think that he's kind of putting those dates in the calendar and just hoping for the best, right? It's one of those things where you... You put your credit card in and you hope for the best. And so I think you made a good move. I'm happy for you. I am very jealous. Um, and you're going to have to kind of be very patient as you wait for 2022 for that to happen, Chad. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you say, it's on it's on the, the tour. I, I had a brief look at the dates as they were in front of me when I clicked on the pre-sale. So you had to sign up to access that list beforehand. Um, but when I looked at all the dates, it almost looked like it was the last leg of the tour, which I suppose makes sense because he, he lives in London. Um, but I was quite surprised, Barry. The, the the sort of ticket prices are really quite reasonable. Um, Thirty five pounds uh, per per person. So oh, wow. whether that is you can get uh, you know general standing, or there's unallocated seats as well. Um, and so you know on a South African uh, basis, the rand is just north of twenty at the moment. You're looking at uh, you know sort of fourteen hundred. Where, where am I at? Where am I at? Seven hundred, seven hundred bucks, seven hundred buckaroos. Jeez, Chad, if that's the case, I better get my ass to London, right? I better book my plane tickets. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, that's that's not bad at all. And I, I think it's it, that's really cool. That's really cool. Because mm. we were both worried about the ticket prices. We were both waiting for this email and we were a bit worried about, oh, yeah. are they going to ask us to mortgage our houses? Like, how, how is this going to happen? Um, so that is really cool to hear. And yeah, I, I think it's going to be... I think that a Jacob Collier, I've never been, and of course I'm very biased, but I think that a concert of his is 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 a hell of a lot of fun and really going to be a unique experience. And so I think I think you'll love it, dude. I think it's going to be really cool. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, yeah. And he might have see. a new album out by then, right? Based on his kind of <laughs> track record, he might yeah. have Jesse Volume 4 out by then because he kind of w- runs through these albums like it's nobody's business. So there might be new music for you, Chad. Who knows? Who knows? We'll have to see. I mean, it is the Jesse World Tour. So I don't know if that uh, restricts it to the three albums that we saw or whether any new stuff is in scope. Uh, we'll, we'll certainly have to see, but it's exciting. It's exciting. I've, I've, I've not really looked at future events. I've kind of just, like you say, hold the credit card in the pocket um, for anything. Like I haven't book, been booking anything, um, but it's it's nice. It's a good feeling to have to book this in. And I think with a reasonable level of certainty within more than a year's time, it should surely be able to happen. <laughs> uh, anyway, this is being recorded. So in more than a year's time, we can revisit this, Barry, and we can see whether that was or was not the case. Oh, yeah, that, that's the joys of podcasting, Chad. You can make these predictions and then we can find yeah. out later down the line how well we did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, one of the very many benefits of us having this podcast. Let's then move on to our last segment. Develop and grow. This is a neglected segment of the podcast. It's been a while. I don't know. Have we just been in survival mode, Barry, where we haven't been focus on focusing on... Uh, bettering ourselves i mean this is at its core a self-development podcast isn't it chad i, I don't know about you but I, i'm I'm doing perfectly fine everything is going perfect on my side so i don't need any more right. self-development so i've okay. kind of reached my reached my peak <laughs> oh, i love it and there's there's a little crowd uh clapping thank for you, you as thank well you. You, you've autographs your... all week thank you You've reached your self-actualization, Barry. That's a that's a good a good place to be. Um, of, of course, I haven't, Chad. Of course, I haven't. It, it is a segment that we've been neglecting for some unknown reason. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I had kind of a tough couple of days, and I should have put something on here because in the last couple of days, I've been struggling with this whole work at home thing and work for myself. So there's lots of stuff I should be putting on here, Chad. I don't know why I don't get there. It's something we need to work on going forward. Agreed. Agreed. Well, I put something very small there this week. Uh, but it's something I'm really struggling with. And so I'd be very keen to <clears throat> hear your thoughts on, Barry. And that is obviously, as we're working from home, as we do not leave the house, uh, you know, not not for many hours a day at least, um, we, we glued to our screens, whether it is at work, whether it is binge-watching series after work, whether it is catching up with friends on replying to messages on your phone, I just, at this point, can't seem to get away from a screen. And it's really, it's bugging me. Um, it, it's bugging me just just for the principle of it. Um, just for the principle of spending, I don't know, north of 10, 11, 12 hours a day on a screen. It's just it's just ridiculous. Um, and then, of, of course, the natural eye fatigue that comes as a result of that, um, which, I'm, which I'm really struggling with because, of course, you know anything that you that you're doing on your screens uh, I just become a whole lot less effective at whatever it is that I'm doing uh, when my eyes don't feel crispy clear and sharp especially when what I'm doing is uh, you know editing photos or, or, or editing videos or, or whatever it is um, so yeah it's something I've been really struggling with and and I kind of wanted to just reiterate this rule um, that you know, it's all, it's a nice rule. It's a nice thing to keep in the back of your mind. Obviously, it's hard to do and implement uh, with, you know, certainty and, and regu- regularity, I guess, is, is the most important thing here. But it's the 20-20-20 rule. Have you heard of it? 
I have, Chad. I have. In, in, in fact, it's in a conversation in the last couple of weeks. Because um, wow. I've had a similar thing where I spend all my day listening and listening, looking at the screen. And uh, I, I think it's a very key rule that I that I always forget to kind of do. Mm. And I get to the point where I've been staring at the screen for like two hours and then I realize, oh, flip, I haven't moved. I haven't even looked elsewhere. I haven't kind of taken my eyes off the screen. And now, and recently I bought a big screen, Chad. So I'm not, yeah. not looking at a laptop screen. I'm looking <laughs> at a ginormous 27-inch screen. Yeah. And so it's something I need to get better at. But why don't you explain it to the listeners who maybe haven't heard of the 2020 rule? Absolutely. Um, so the 2020 rule is basically just to try and break, break from whatever it is you're doing. So where the 2020 comes from is, is it's obviously it's obviously nice and easy to remember because um, we think of 2020 vision, right? Um, but it's it, it's also just a good sort of medical guideline, uh, and you know a lot of sort of optometrists recommend doing this. So what you need to do is you need to every twenty minutes take a twenty second break where you look twenty meters away, um, and and like I said, it's it's so simple. What is twenty seconds? But you know you you know Barry when you get stuck in the zone when you get into a task. Or, or even even not like even when you're distracted, uh, when you multitasking, switching, when you when you've got that that twitch, that, that feeling to, to lunge out for your phone and go onto in, Instagram and pacify yourself a little bit uh, and and get that dopamine hit from from your smartphone. Um, it is hard to remember to every twenty minutes religiously take that break for twenty seconds to look twenty meters away. Yeah, it really is. And, and like you say, it's a habit that in those moments where we feel fidgety, we do pull out our phones and we just kind of transfer our gaze from one screen to another screen, from a big screen to a small screen. Yeah. And that doesn't help us at all. I, I, I had a moment today where I haven't, I haven't left the home today, but like I kind of worked for a couple of hours and was feeling a bit kind of just mad. Yeah. And so I came out onto my patio and as I opened the door and I took a, a breath of fresh air and I kind of looked into the trees, I felt this immediate kind of release that I was like, oh, wow, that's kind of the, the low-hanging anxiety or the low-hanging fatigue mm. that I've been feeling was just because I needed some fresh air. I needed like to look out and like look beyond the screen, look out into some trees, see some nature, and get some fresh air. And so it's such a simple thing that we forget and we kind of get in our heads about. And often our, our, our anxiety or our, our depression or our, those kind of physical affectations of, of, of sadness or of feeling down can be solved by just a little bit of nature or a little bit of relaxation or a little bit of kind of getting those eyes away from that screen. And so it's something I wish I did more frequently. I wish I realized how powerful it was and did it on a regular basis. I know some people use their watches. They'll put like a little timer and saying, cool. It, 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 when the Apple Watch tells you to breathe and, and everyone yes. kind of ignores it. Like, that should be a great opportunity exactly. to kind of actually breathe, right? To actually use that as a trigger to breathe, to look away from the screen, to get up and stretch your legs, to do a couple push-ups, whatever it takes to kind of get your body more physical again. And I think it's it's a big deal for us who live in kind of this knowledge ecosystem where all of our work is is mental, and we don't actually work our bodies at all. Yeah. And unfortunately, they they are connected and they kind of work for each other. So the more we can do to kind of keep physical and keep active during these these long work days, especially at home, the better we're going to be able to perform. I agree. I think you raise a really really important point there with the Apple Watch, um, and to be honest, I'm so over the idea of smartwatches at this point in time. I just, I'm so over the idea of something vibrating at my wrist, uh, you know, kind of saying, look at me, look at me, I need attention, uh, look at me. And 
you know, when when I when I had an Apple Watch, when I first bought my Garmin, one of the cases, I I obviously enabled all of that kind of stuff. The 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 breathing, which is really important. Uh, of course, the 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 stand up feature, right? So every couple of minutes, it nudges you and says, "Stand up, go for a walk, like do something." And eventually, after a couple of weeks, you turn it off because it just becomes irritating. <laughs> I mean, are you the same? Exactly the same, Chad. I I I, I kind of. I use my smartwatch very differently to most people. Like all of my notifications are off. I kind of use it just yeah. for fitness. But from the breathing, standing up thing, I, it's the like same thing. I get those mm. notifications and yeah. I ignore them. <laughs> In the same way that I set myself these time limits on these apps, I say for social media, okay, cool, one hour a day. And then it comes up and it says, you've reached your limit for Instagram. And I just click ignore for the day and I carry on going. It's, like, <laughs> it's absolutely silly. Um, and so I think it's, it's, it's the discipline to actually use these tools to help you. That is... <laughs> Oh, it's the discipline to use these tools in the way that we that we want to do, and that takes a, that takes a lot of work. Mm. I've been thinking, Chad, and I don't know what you think of this idea. Is that I've been frustrated with my, myself that I set these one hour time limits for social media, and then I just ignore them. And so I've been thinking to use parental controls against myself <laughs> and give my phone to a friend and ask oh, them to set no. a code for me, so I can't get around that that wall, and then not tell me the code. And then if I want to get into Instagram after that hour, I have to phone my friend and beg them, please tell me what the code is. What do you think about that strategy? <laughs> I mean, it certainly is, a, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely getting a whole lot more friction uh, in the process, which is always a good thing, I suppose, when, when that's your goal, to, to spend less time on these addictive platforms. Um, I mean, I read Digital Minimalist, uh, you know, a while ago and not even too long ago, a few months ago. And already I'm, I'm back to it. I'm back to... The, the the insane level of dopamine you get from flicking through Instagram, um, but you, but that that could be a solution, Barry. The parental control. I mean, it's 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 taking it quite far in terms of, uh, <laughs> you know, actually getting getting that to work. Um, but but yeah, it's it's an interesting suggestion. It's it's a very interesting suggestion. Um, who knows? Potentially will work. The question is whether you're going to rely instead on your your computer. But instead, you're going to open the browser on your computer, on your 27-inch screen, and uh, see Instagram and its glory over there. <laughs> that is the question, Chad. I think there's always loopholes. There's always ways to get around the system, right? But I think what you're bringing up the word friction, that's the right way to think yeah. about it. Is that just, just increasing the friction just makes you have makes you work harder to get to that kind of like get to the cookie jar and if you make yeah. it as hard as possible to get your hand into the cookie jar there's, there's less likely you can actually do it on a regular basis yeah. um, and so i think that it, it does sound extreme but i kind of want to try it i kind of think it might be an interesting experiments because I, I do find myself like really being frustrated when i end up scrolling twitter for two hours when i should have been yeah. doing something more productive um, yep. So that's a very, very interesting one to try. One more thing on the social media chat I wanted to ask is, have you been using Clubhouse? Have you been have you been tuning in? Have you been opening the app? Like we talked about it, uh, about how much time it takes. Mm. And I'm just curious as to in the last week or so, how much have you been on Clubhouse? Dude, I've not used Clubhouse once in the last <laughs> three weeks, I'd say. At least, at least three weeks. I don't know. I'm just, I thought it was really cool. And the novelty was cool in the beginning. And this idea of, of accessing these um, exclusive conversations almost. Um, I mean, I did get some good value from some of the conversations I got from, you know, from some photographers. And it certainly set me on the right path. But in terms of spending my time there at the moment, I don't. I've got to be honest. I don't. I just don't. Um, at the moment, 
you know, it's it's hard enough to focus on one task at the same time. So the, the only time I really would be able to do that is if I am shutting off from anything else I'm doing, uh, unless it is something like walking or editing photos, uh, you know, to an extent, something like that, folding laundry, that kind of stuff, the, the same sort of stuff that you would do uh, listening to podcasts. And uh, yeah, I mean, when it comes to my actual usage over the last three weeks, I'd say I haven't really. How about you? Yeah, I'm exactly the same. I haven't touched it, Chad. Um, yeah. But yes, I've been listening to hours of podcasts. So I, I, I think I don't, I don't think it's going to survive. To be honest, mm. I don't think that in its current format, it's going to have the same sort of impact that we, we all assumed it was going to have. Um, just because if I look at my behavior, I've had no, I've had even though they sent me ten thousand notifications a day, <laughs> even though they pissed me off with the notifications, yeah. I still don't go into the app, right? Um, and so I think I think that is one of those things where it's not going to be as as powerful as we thought it was going to be. And for me, I'd much rather listen to a podcast, to be honest, where, yeah. where the, the, the conversation is structured, where I know exactly what they're going to talk about, where I know like, okay, if I'm going to invest my time into this, I want to know who's going to be talking and what's, yeah. what's the topic and, and some, some basic information about it. And so when I fold my laundry and I'm cooking, that's, that sort of thing, I'm putting a podcast in, I'm not putting Clubhouse on. So I just think it's an interesting development after all of the, the hype in the beginning. I agree. I, I turned those notifications off because they came they became very irritating for me. I mean, as soon as you as soon as you follow one person on Clubhouse, every single time they are in a room, uh, you will get a nudge for that. So I turned I disabled all of those notifications. And so I'd say that is probably a big reason for why I just don't think about it. It's just not a part of my daily routine to to go in and log into Clubhouse. And I think I think as well where my interest sort of weaned a little bit, Barry, and, and tell me if you agree or not, is that these rooms started getting bigger and bigger naturally as the platform starts to grow and as people start to get their invites. Um, and and I just kind of, the novelty of, and the sort of exclusivity, I guess, of being in this room and, and having uh, this, this close access to these moderators, uh, it, just, it just weaned off a bit. Um, and also, I guess, you know, then it becomes a lot harder to manage the quality of uh, the the guests ultimately who get brought up onto the stage. And a lot of the time you, you're listening to stuff you, you don't really want to be listening to. And it, that brings me back to something you said, which is the importance of good moderation uh, in these in these clubhouse rooms and ultimately being able to take that hard and fast stance uh, if someone is not contributing ultimately to the goal of whatever that room is. It's absolutely spot on. I mean, the magic of Clubhouse in the beginning was the intimacy. This mm. idea that you can get into a small room with someone you admired and really kind of interact on a, on a, on a two-way basis. Whereas at the moment, if you're going to go into a room with a famous person, you're going to be compete with 10,000 other people trying to get on yeah. that stage, right? And so you're just not going to have that same experience as you used to have. Um, and so, yeah, unless it's going to be super intimate, like there's been some rooms that I've been in where, I, where I've been speaking where there's like six or seven people. And that's an interesting dynamic. That's quite an interesting kind of use case. But I just haven't seen that many of those and I haven't been involved yeah. in that many of those. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know what they're going to do. And Twitter spaces are still on the way. I've still seen mm -hmm. them. There's a little bit of yeah. talk about that. So we'll have to wait and see what Twitter does. But I'm a little bit skeptical about this drop-in audio chat just because of the, the time suck. Like, and unless yeah. you know exactly what the topic is going to be, unless you know who the moderator is going to be, unless you know kind of some sort of constraints around the timeline, uh, like I said earlier in, in a previous episode, like what happens when we go back to normal life and we're yeah. not spending 12 hours a day at home, right? <laughs> like mm. then, then what happens to these conversations? Um, and so for all the billions of dollars that gone into the app, uh, who knows where it's going to be in a year's time. 
Oof, devastating indeed if if it doesn't work <laughs> out for them. Um, I mean, great if it does, but uh, very interesting if it doesn't. That brings us then, Barry, to to close of, of an episode that I thoroughly enjoyed, especially the salmon segment. Um, I, oh, yes. I loved oh, yes. I loved the headline. It got me straight involved, um, and <laughs> I, you know I, I was so looking forward to this episode as a result of that. Uh, so so thanks for that, uh, and yeah, like I said, next week uh, you won't have to stay up as late, which which will be cool for you. Yeah, very very nice. We can get some daylight savings on 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 our backs, <laughs> and make sure that we get a little bit more sun into that Chad, so that Chad is a little <laughs> bit in a better mood this year. But Chad, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure, dude. I really enjoy these conversations, and if you're watching live, if you're listening to this after the facts, we really appreciate you. Thanks again for tuning in to episode 71, 71 Chad. That's really Damn. really cool. Uh, and uh, across the pond is going from strength to strength, in my opinion. It absolutely is. Well, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, and as always, we'll see you next week.